Wait for it. Wait for it. And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Mostly that's just Nick and I. Stabby's just there to chaperone. But uh, without further ado... We're going to let our returning guest, Mr. Ross Bazell, uh, introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. And I probably should have asked if I pronounced that name right. It, and I greatly appreciate it because I can't tell you how many of my audio books I go to listen to and it says Ross Buzzle. And I'm like, that's not how you say it. <laughs> I've heard that. That's how I was going to say it. So <laughs> There, there are some people who would say that that is right, but it is wrong. It's Bazell. Okay. Uh, wow, but yeah. I can see that now. Now that now that you said it, <laughs> yeah, I, I like to when I, when people ask like so like especially whenever I'm emailing people, they're like, so how do you pronounce your last name? And they're like, think the first half of Buzz Lightyear and the last half of Cal El and toss them together. Bonus points for throwing Superman in there. I dug it. You have to throw Superman in there. When you have a chance to be Cal El or somebody else. Always be Cal El. Oh, always be Kal-El. Yeah, and, and to, to kind of go back to uh, what you were saying, or to, to kind of introduce myself, yeah, I'm I'm Ross Bazell. I'm um, this my I think it's my second, maybe third time on your on your podcast. Which I thank you for having me. Um, I am uh, I've I've dabbled in several different genres of books: um, military, sci-fi, space opera, fantasy, um, lit RPG. And uh, then this new series, which is it's kind of a blend of a whole bunch of things, but the first book like leans real hard into into military sci-fi, but with superpowers. Yeah. So you were on our archives episode number thirty-three because that was from when we were on the sci-fi shenanigans before Nick and Stabby joined the party, uh, and then you were episode seventy-eight with season one. Uh, with Nick before Stabby was joining us. She was shy for a little bit. We had to like drug her and get her drunk so she would have fun with us. Wait, that sounded really bad. We <laughs> Nick, help me out here because this is not going to get easier when I'm trying to figure Throw out a way to line. We got her out of her shell and more comfortable on being on podcasts through alcohol. Which is kidding in the kitchen. All right, so... I promise I'm not stalking anybody uh, except for hunting down people to come on the show and find their social media links. Um, and so this can get even more awkward. I'm going to tell you how uh, we first met Ross. So um, before Nick and I were uh, serving in the Continental Army together, we were hunters for small tribe of nomads. Uh, we used to follow the mammoth trails and hunt down those massive critters to feed our indigenous friends. And along the way, one of the tribal shaman was uh, none other than Ross. And uh, we sort of struck up uh, a friendship over the Solstice Moon Gathering, and the rest is history. And there's actually something I need to confess about those times where we first met. I had no idea what I was doing. I just found a bunch of bones on the ground, and then the tribe was like, um, you you must be the shaman. I was like, oh, okay, it's either that or they eat me. And so that's, yeah, they, that, that's why I got myself a little gut. I just kept throwing bones, and they kept they kept giving me food. It, it makes you, let's see what the bones say. Exactly. <laughs> All right, sir. Uh, because you've been here before, but not uh, with the conventional religion questions, you get the OG version. So, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? That is so hard because, like, they're all great. Um, 
I would have to say by a margin of like one one thousandth of a percent, it would have to be Star Wars, Firefly, then Star Trek. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> if you wanted to go off script, what would your answer be? If you went to something we didn't list. Um Oh, if I went to, if you went to, or went to something you didn't list. Um Honestly, I would probably have to go with Star Wars, the Clone Wars, the TV show. That's still part of the Star Wars franchise. So. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, technically, that it still counts. But, the, I mean, the Clo- Clone Wars TV show, that's that's my comfort show. Like, it hits you right in the feels, and you feel you feel amazing after every episode. Yeah. Dude. Well, except for the last season. I didn't feel so great at that one, because I felt all the feels. I was like, oh, come on, Red. Yeah. Dog. Yeah. I, I, I actually I did scream at my TV on that at that scene. I was like, "What? No, come on!" Yeah, um, but the yeah the last and and also like I'm a huge fan of Sam Witwer, um, who he voiced Darth Maul. Um, he also played Star Killer in Jedi uh, or in Force Unleashed, the Force Unleashed games. But I was introduced to him all the way back in Smallville, where he played Doomsday. Doomsday. And, I think he's really good at playing a vampire too. He was on a couple of vampire shows. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen any. Oh wait, yeah, I've seen one of those. He was pretty good on that too. Yeah, but like, it's just I I really also enjoy just watching Sam Witwer talk about the Force and what it's like being Darth Maul and like bringing that character to life. And it's did just you, yeah. Did you happen to see his? Uh, it was during an interview where they asked him. Uh, he was talking about Star Killer and meditation. You ever yes. Talk, you talk about that. Yeah. He's like, why he just looks so angry while he's doing it. And he's like, because he came in there and changed Star Wars forever, at least that part of the canon, saying that like he's the Sith don't meditate. He wouldn't know what to do. That's that's how he thinks it is. Yeah. And actually, there is only one time that you actually see Sith meditation acted out on screen. Um. And it is on, it's in the forest on Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens um, after Kylo Ren's been shot in the side. Whenever he screams and he starts beating his side, yeah. that is Sith, uh, that is, that is Sith meditation. That's how the Sith meditate is they, they put themselves in pain and they ex, um, exaggerate that pain through their own external force. And that helps them concentrate and increase their power. We used to do that in hockey too. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> get into it get into it it's just to make you more aggressive yeah so i don't know for me like uh the clone commandos i like that but i like the version of the commandos that was the republican republic commandos the star wars books i think karen travis did some of them but didn't some other people write in that those books too in that series i think so but i can't i can't remember any names off the top of my head yeah, but I like the Republic Commandos. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the Rogue Squadron books. Um, so for me, Star Wars is always the books. I guess they call it was extended lore now. Um, that like, is Legends. Yeah, that was my that was my happy place in school. Like I would just hide behind those Star Wars books. Uh, Red, what was it? Red Squadron and uh, all the books. There were lots of colored squadrons. Is all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, they they were not very good. Like, I mean, why couldn't they be different and be Magenta Squadron? I don't know, something different. It'd be fabulous. Well, did you ever notice in um, 
oh, in episode four, there is no gold squadron, but in Rogue One, there is. Why yeah. is that? Because they all died on the Battle of Scarif. Yeah. Oh. The gold squadron was wiped out, wiped out in the Battle of Scarif, and just like in, in Episode Four, in the meeting room, whenever Darth Vader says the line, uh, "The power to destroy the planet is nothing compared to the power of the the Force," um, there is one empty seat. That is, um, that's uh, not Ambassador because he's not Ambassador, but that's Krennic's seat. Yeah, Director. Yeah, that's Krennic's seat. Krennic. Nice. So you are like as much of a lore nerd as Nick, and we should have had you on for our episode about Star Wars. We will be doing more Star Wars, like nerdy franchise discussions, because they're so rich Mm -hmm. uh, for opportunity. Like, I think we're going to have to get this is a recommendation from our listeners that we should get more granular with the what part of Star Wars we're talking about. Like, let's talk about the Jedi or the Sith or the clone troopers or stormtroopers or whatever. Like, I think we're going to we're going to narrow it down a little bit more. Uh, and have some fun with it. So we'll have to have you back for that. Um, oh yeah, I'd, I'd have. Oh man, I would. Lo- I would love to talk Star Wars with you guys. So how many of the cosplay out. outfits did you buy? I didn't buy any. My wife doesn't like me to cosplay. She's actually because uh, we're going to Disney um, with our with our. Um, he's not newborn anymore. He's gone ten months old with our baby um, next year, and we're going to be going to. Uh, we're actually going to be going to Star Wars land and she really doesn't want me to make a lightsaber. She'd rather me make a droid, but I really want to make a lightsaber. The lightsaber is more of an experience than making the droid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, both. Because it's like, like $700 two. for both. No. Oh. It's like 250 a pop. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was, I was off by 200. You're shy $200. But, it's an experience. Like, you, what did it take? Like a half hour, forty-five minutes. Um, you know what? It took about forty-five minutes. We got to build our hilt. We got to pick our kyber crystals. It's very immersive. You for a minute, you start believing got, in the Star Wars universe. So what I need really secret. No, no. Well, so what we, we need to do. So, Stabby, hold on for just a second. What we need to do is get this book that we're going to talk about in a few minutes to number one so he makes all the money so we can afford to do both. I was just about to say, you know what? I'll make you guys a deal. If you can get me like $5,000 in one month off of the book, I'll do both. (laughs) We'll do what we can. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, One one nerd to another. Speaking of, I'm already writing down. Oh, you, you gave Stabby a challenge. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So uh, if, if you're looking at your the religion of the fantastical, we've got Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, or Wheel of Time. Um, I might have to pull a Henry Cavill here and go... Um, okay. Warhammer. Oh, okay. He's hanging the nerds. I'm, well, wouldn't I'm, Warhammer be sci-fi? Oh, uh, no, they get know. the fantasy version of Warhammer, though. Oh, okay. You know what? You know what? Since if we're gonna go hard fantasy, then we'll go hard fantasy. I'll go Lord of the Rings because, like, the whole Maiar Valar singing the world into existence is beautiful. And like, you know how people are like, "Hey, why didn't why didn't they just use the eagles?" Or Gandalf was trying to tell them to use the eagles. Um, he wasn't actually trying to tell them to use the eagles because if they would have used the ring, and it's a reason why Gandalf didn't bring them in until after the ring was destroyed. If they would have used the ring, the eagles are like one step below where Gandalf is on the power scale. 
it had a chance to corrupt them and turn them into essentially another version of uh, of uh, Sauron. So that's why he didn't use the eagles. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to get into that lore either. But yes, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, because it is a beautifully created universe. Jared, didn't we just talk about that, about the eagles and the and the ring a couple episodes ago? We It's coming up before. It's come up before. That seems to be the question that everyone's, you know, why didn't we just use the damn eagles? I didn't know that. So that's really insightful. If it would have been anything other than a hobbit, it would have failed because the hobbits are so low on the power scale that there is literally nothing below them. So there is nothing to exploit. That's why they're so resilient to the ring. It's like a private in the army. Exactly. Basically. So when you said Henry Cavill, like I was like, oh, he's going for Witcher because that's clearly fantasy. Uh, yeah, he is, but you know, he specifically Warhammer 40k, the sci-fi version, not the fantasy version. He's talked about that. All of my, all of my lore knowledge about Warhammer is the 40k universe, but I I totally didn't even think about the Witcher. No, I'm going to stick with my answer. Lord of the Rings. So is the Warhammer (laughs) fantasy version, is it 30k or is it just Warhammer? I didn't know that there was a Warhammer fantasy version, to be honest. I just, I I stumbled across whenever Ryan was a baby and like we were too scared to let him sleep by himself and I had him just sleeping on me at night. I would just kind of doom scroll and I came across this shorts, um, this shorts uh, or YouTube shorts um, channel that just had like one minute into the lore of Warhammer. And I can't tell you how many nights I got just sucked down that rabbit hole and it was just fantastic. They're not very creative with the name. It's literally just called Warhammer Fantasy. Oh, okay. yeah. Or Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I, I would expect the, expect the Black Library to be a little bit more creative. <laughs> but, okay, okay. Uh, I don't know much about it. I wonder if there is any actual tie um, to... And maybe we ought to do... You know what? Let's do that. We'll add Warhammer as a uh, episode topic. Uh, but I wonder if the fantasy setting is linked somehow, like is the past version of, of the Warhammer 40K. Like, are they linked to just different parts of the timeline? Uh, I don't know. We've got to find some Warhammer experts, Nick. We have to unleash uh, our Sherlock Holmes powers and go. Yeah, I guess I could bring in my little brother, but we ain't talking, so... Okay, so okay. they were they were linked due thanks to the realm uh, the realms books, but they are no longer canon. The realms books are no longer canon, so no Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer Forty K are no longer officially linked. Uh they divorced. I hate it when that happens. I yeah, know. I wonder who got to keep the kids. <laughs> Henry um, Cavill, kids he's making a he's making a forty k he's making a forty k show. Are they yeah, really? Yes. Yeah. Did that get canceled because of the strike or no? Uh, I, I don't, got paused. They probably yeah, probably got paused. I don't probably imagine it got canceled right though. So if I was going to he's, he's the king of the nerds. I need to build a shrine. Is yeah. Superman's so like, suit? if if we were doing the the fantasy, obviously like Lord of the Rings is the OG. He's like the he's the shoulder of the giant we all stand on when we write fantasy stuff. Um. Having said that, and the people that created a lot of the D and D because they sort of expanded the concept in a way that was different than what he did, still built off his shoulders. But they were like the next step, I think, in the ladder, uh, as my understanding of the evolution of the genre. There are going to be like all kinds of hate mail. Send it to Madam Stabby Stab at uh, Twitter. 
Uh, if you want the hate mail about what I'm getting wrong, and that's perfectly okay, she'll read it. If there's good ones, you can read it on air, all right? <laughs> Censored, when, of course. And maybe you'll get a free T-shirt if we really like it once we get the merch store up. So we are actually uh, in the process of rebranding. Um, we made friends with uh, the folks over at Three Ravens. And so in return for some um, favors and getting rid of some incriminating pictures of Hillbilly, uh, he's going to have his artist make us a cool logo. Uh, Nick's already seen the preview and it's looking amazing. Uh, it turns our logo and makes it kind of look like a badass motorcycle club, which I'm digging. Yeah, I can't wait to see what the final product looks like. And Nick said he would help us set up a... Uh, a merch store, dear listener. And we're even going to throw in some of uh, Madam Stabby Sab's common expressions. Like, how does this even work? Make it make sense. Why does this work? We I also need to get Nick to draw. You. you know the street artist that'll do the drawing with the really big head and then the little body for that art style? I don't know what that's called. Uh, caricature. Yeah, you could do a caricature of her. And then, like, we could put that on a T-shirt with her, with her expressions. With a knife in her hand, because well, of course, a character of her would have a knife in her hand. But uh, all right, so uh, we are civilized here. Uh, at least we pretend to be, instead of just being knuckle dragging troglodytes. That's just our day job, right, Nick? Uh, so, yeah. coffee or tea, and how do you take it? Apes strong together. Oh, uh, <laughs> co coffee all all the way, coffee. Um, okay. And it it depends on the mood I'm in, or if I need to get stuff done, or if I just feel like hating myself. Um, if Typically, coffee I just put for you. a little. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Typically, I put just a little bit of enough coffee creamer to change the color and uh, get rid of the acidity with a little bit of caramel. That way, I can have a little flavor in there. Um, but if I'm if I really need to pick me up, um, there's a, when I worked at Starbucks. There's a drink that I that I made. It was uh, four shots of blonde espresso that were short shots. So it was like super, it was super condensed. Uh, a couple of shakes of cinnamon, two honey packets so that it wouldn't taste like tar. And then again, just enough milk to, uh, to change the color so that it wouldn't tear my stomach up. And I'd have the milk cold, but the shots hot. So I could just shoot the whole thing. And, uh, that is what I would do too, if I really need a kick in the pants, but typically it's just a nice, the largest cup of coffee I can make. So, you can go ahead and send me that recipe. I need no, that, that in my life. Really Absolutely. Good. It is really I, like coffee and honey go really well together. I am a sucker for coffee in general, but you threw in the blonde brew from Starbucks and that's a game changer for me. So you can just go ahead and so, send that this way. I have actually started making um, my own um, coffee creamer. Doc put me on this channel called Craftologist on TikTok. I'll link it in the show notes. And she helps you make your own coffee creamer. And instead of all the additives, it's literally condensed milk, half and half, and then flavoring. And it's it tastes like the regular coffee creamer. Um, using for French vanilla, you need French vanilla extra or yeah, vanilla extract and hazelnut extract. And extracts are super expensive. So I use the syrups instead. So I'm trying to get the the proportions just right. Hers are off. It, it tastes too nutty and not vanilla. <laughs> I know. I see what I did there. I walked into that. pretty good in tea, like in some Earl Grey or something. That mixture that worked really worked well. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we never grow it up. Grow up. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I've been digging that for the for the coffee. But, man, now, now I want to try your espresso. Show. That's basically like – Shots of pure caffeine straight into the bloodstream when you drink it that way. Yeah. So, yeah. JR, if you 
want the whole pumpkin spice thing, but you're trying to avoid the calories. We actually, me and Ranger Nick over here, we order um, coffee toppers from a um, online store called Flavor God, and they do pumpkin pumpkin spice latte. They do. Um, the peppermint mocha and you just sprinkle it into your coffee or on top of your whipped cream and it makes your coffee taste like it without having to have all that extra sugar. All right. I am putting these notes in the show notes to your listeners so you can follow along. And we are recording this uh, at the tail end of September and airing it on the launch uh, window for this book that we'll be talking about in a few minutes. Uh, so it is deep in the heart of basic bitch pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte season. And I got my first one yesterday and it wasn't as sweet as it's been in the past years. I don't know. They did it a little different, which I, I liked it. My tolerance for the sweetness is just not what it used to be now that I've been dieting. But uh, I was driving home from a, from a kid's doctor's appointment today, and I saw a Wendy's that had a pumpkin spice uh, vanilla, uh, pumpkin spice flavored, fr- uh, what do you call it, Frosty. And I don't really know how I feel about that. On the one hand, I like pumpkin spice, but Frosties, I'm like, I'm a purist. Chocolate is the only Frosty that exists. Dunkin' Donuts has a pumpkin. Just frosty. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts has a pumpkin spiced uh, the the donut holes. Those are really good. Those are, Those are so really good. good. They're pumpkin spiced donut holes. Yeah. It's like uh, I don't like so, their coffee. Well, no, they have a blueberry coffee. That's pretty their coffee is actually pretty good. I like I'm not a huge fan of their coffee. I think it's overrated. Kind of like like Dutch Bros. I think it's overrated. So I don't know. For me, yeah. I, I compare Dunkin' in the same vein as I would like a Starbucks because they're all over the place. Starbucks coffee and roast discounts taste burnt. I was a barista to pay for college too, Ross. Uh, ah. So the, I was a black apron barista. I went through all that extra. Yeah. Um, that just means you get special fancy training and they teach you to lift your pinky when you drink it. Actually, give me one second. Give me one second. Uh-oh, he's going to go get up. his black apron. Uh, whiskey. Pinky's up. <laughs> up for the queen. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I don't know. It just tastes a little bit burnt. I like Dunkin'. It's a little bit better. Um, I like if you want a good brand for oh, – uh-oh, there we go. Nice. There we go. Nice. Yeah. I, have, I haven't worked for Starbucks since um, grad school in, I think, 06. It's been a while. Yeah, See, it's been, I never, it's been a I never years. got, I never got a black apron. My aprons were always orange. Black apron was. Oh, girl. Oh yeah, yeah. That there was actually <laughs> you had to go through some food safety courses and co- coffee expertise courses. Um, in theory, they wanted you to be like a was it sommelier, the guy that does a wine tasting. Yeah, they, you were a coffee sommelier. Yeah. Yeah, basically, was the idea. It coffee. didn't always work. Because uh, there were some that, that, I don't know, they got the black apron, but they couldn't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but at one point in time, that was the idea. But yeah, so Duncan is a little bit less burnt when, when it comes to regular flavor. But if you're in Virginia or the or the South, there's a company called The Daily Grind, which makes coffee. at roasting plant is in Luray Cavern, Virginia. And they've got some really good stuff. And if you want mass market 8 o'clock, the 8 o'clock brand, I mean, it's a subsidiary of Starbucks, but it doesn't taste like the crap they So, I went to um, this little city, or I should call it a town, because there was literally just one street with stores and then just farm. But it was in uh, Minnesota, and I was like, 
look, lady, it's six o'clock in the morning. I just need a cup of coffee. I don't care where it's from. Dunkin', Starbucks, wherever. And she goes, don't say that here. <laughs> they, uh, they, have their, they will not let anybody build a Starbucks in their town. I mean, I, like, I respect their standards. Their coffee place is called... And of course, it just escaped my mind. It has like an elk on it. Oh, okay, man, I'm gonna have to Google it. Oh, is it? But, um, I think I I know I know which one you're talking about. Um, Seattle's best is it Seattle's best? No, Seattle's yeah. best is in a lot of the Barnes and Nobles, though. Yeah, they're, they're real that's good. That's got a buck on it, right? Seattle's best. See, if they won't let Starbucks in, I doubt they're letting Seattle's best in. It's probably a local place. We have a um. We have a really cool coffee spot. It's in Virginia Beach near my mom's. It's called Bad Ass Coffee, and they've got some really amazing stuff. Would but, you say that's a badass? Yeah, I would say it is. They they lived up to the name, um, and it's There's healthy. Called Death by Caffeine too. Oh, nice, nice. Dear me, uh, or Deer Head Coffee. We've actually been uh, we've we've uh, talked with a coffee company about sponsorship ideas because we talk about coffee so much uh, <laughs> but but nick and i were talking about that in the pre-show where before we sponsor you know shill for anything we're gonna have to taste it ourselves and we make sure it doesn't taste like teetotal ass because that's the last and thing like samples to jr handley yeah <laughs> um but the, um, yeah so I, I don't know the the pumpkin spice though i'm i don't know like i, I don't know if i feel that in a frosty and actually, if you uh, if you have a hot pumpkin spice latte, and just ask them to sub out one or two of the pumps of the pumpkin for cinnamon dolce, it tastes like somebody got a uh, a pumpkin pie, liquefied it, got it nice and warm, and put it. So in when I was working uh, Starbucks for grad school, they had the maple latte, which literally tasted like you were drinking a coffee pancake with syrup on it. It was so good. Uh, I don't know why they stopped making it, but that was like that was death by calories, and I was okay with it. That's probably why they stopped. It's called <laughs> Caribou Coffee, y'all. Okay. Okay, I'm familiar with them. I've them. Caribou Coffee. It's the only coffee shop you can find in a lot of the little towns up north. I did not know this. I'm from Las Vegas, and I stay on the West Coast most of the time. So when I was up there, they were like, it's called Caribou. It's just down the street. You can't miss it. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want coffee. And then I had it, and I was like, oh, snaps. It's a life-changing. It's a delicious. I don't even need creamer in it. Like, so it was for, so good. So for, for Nick and I, or for me at least, I don't know about Nick, some of the best coffee I ever had was the uh, the green bean coffee green that we bean. got while, yeah. while we were in Iraq. I don't know if it's because you know I almost died a few minutes ago, but let me drink this delicious <laughs> calorie-in-a-cup goodness because you know what? what's the worst that can happen? They oh. I die and they send me to Iraq again? I mean... Green. I mean, the 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 green. If if you're talking like the beans themselves are actually green when you brew them, that's where they have the most caffeine in them. So no, no, green bean is the name of the coffee company that has oh, okay. a lot of the USO type bases. Um, and then because we don't want to leave out our friends on the great uh, great white north, uh, otherwise known as America's hat, uh, I've tried uh, Tim Hortons and they're okay. I mean, it wasn't life changing, but it wasn't horrible. And I'm told that's a staple of uh, Canada. Yeah, they they like their um. Th- what do they call their donut holes up there? Little donut Timmy's holes? or something like that. 
I don't know. I would oh, imagine they, they call it donut holes like the rest of the city. They have a special name for their little donut holes at Tim Hortons. They're called like Tim, Little Timmy's or something like that. It's, it cracks me up because it's always on. Um, um, Nick, what's our show, dear? Oh, Letterkenny. Letterkenny. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think jokes about it. When I realized we're 28 minutes in and we spent the whole intro of the show talking about coffee, I realized maybe we we need like a 12-step program, but man, I don't really want to change. I like coffee. But uh, I will link to the Craftologist people. I have sampled that recipe. It is delicious. I recommend it. It cuts on the calories and all the additives, which is the lady that started the channel, started it because they were started adding weird chemicals to uh, shelf-stabilize it even longer. And she, she didn't want any of that. So They're called Timbits. Interesting. So uh, that's going to be our question. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite way to take your coffee? And um, yeah, that, that'll be it uh, for for the question. Because we Spotify lets us talk with our audience by actually having um, conversation. Like you can ask a question, they can answer. Uh, we on our superhero episode, we had one person answer their super their favorite oh. superhero was Wolverine. Which I, I think that's a cool choice. Uh, I've got a friend, his name is Doug. Um, he was a counselor at a camp that I, I went to. He looked organically, he looked more like Wolverine than Wolverine did. Oof. Like, and he, he, so like he leaned into it. He grew out the mutton chops, had the crazy hair. And like, he was an outdoorsman. Like he would go to Bolivia and go to, into the, like the jungles of Bolivia for fun. And uh, like, he looked more like Wolverine than Wolverine did. So like everyone nicknamed him Wolverine and it's his favorite superhero just because he looks like him. I always like Captain America, but because he's in the army. So it worked for me. I got um, um I got called evil the other day and I was like, oh my god, thank you. It's but then simultaneously I had a conversation with the five-year-old that lives uh next door and she's being Elsa, her sister's being Anna for Halloween, and they're like, Miss Marissa, you should dress up with us. I was like, I'll totally be your Olaf. So like, how evil can I be? There's something there's something sinister with Olaf. Like I've got a feeling that that he's 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 got he's got blood on that carrot. He something tells me he shanks people with that thing. He's got a dark and mysterious. Oh my power. goodness, Nick, Nick! What? I've got the perfect idea, and it's all Ross's fault. You know how we had sleigh bells, um, um, sleigh bells, the Christmas anthology. Yeah. Um, really? What if we did blood on the carrot? All about Frosty. <laughs> Holy crap! Like you talk about Keaton. <laughs> oh my goodness, I've got so many ideas now. I hate you, but that's gonna be on 2024 now. Let's do it. Holy crap. Okay. Honey. I actually so my okay. counselor at the VA read our, our Santa Claus anthology, and all he did was ask me what, what I wanted for Christmas that Santa didn't get me and how he hurt me. Uh, a Maudus. Yeah, I wanted a, I wanted a Red Rider baby gun. But they said I'd shoot my eye All right. Well, since we're uh, we're about to transition to talking about the book, because we've been enjoying the coffee chat, uh, we're going to get ready in a second to introduce the commercial. But uh, if you liked some of the episodes where I got with J.D. Sawyer, uh, Rick Shaw, uh, Rob Howell, and got nerdy, and uh, Nick was like, I'm bored, I'm leaving, you guys do your thing, we're going to start calling those the coffee house musings. And those are going to be like the nerd, super nerd chat that Nick doesn't want to listen to. So we hope you enjoy our insanity, um, but 
it's it's a podcast full of recovering academics, Ross. <laughs> where, where we talk nerdy about things like creating That's believable fantastic. geopolitical worlds in your fiction. That, that sounds fantastic. See, he's our people. All right, we're going to air that beautiful bean. Uh, oh, no, I don't want to get sued by the Bush people. So it's never going to play the commercial. Here comes your next romp in the graveyard. In Hunters for Hire, a new urban fantasy adventure by best-selling author Jonathan Yanez, a guy down on his luck puts sign twirling and rideshare driving on the back burner to track down the supernatural for a pretty penny. Find out what happens when John Hunter enters the secret underworld. Download your copy and start listening today. Now available on Amazon and Audible. I, I, I know if you guys have listened to the show, you've heard this before, but that commercial still creeps me out a little bit because when <laughs> I was sampling it for uh, for um, John, when he sent it to me, Jonathan was like, hey, what do you think? Is this what you're looking for for the podcast? And I'm like, yes. And I happened to be driving with my mom and I played it. And she goes, Ooh, he's got a sexy voice. I'm like, mom, no. Yeah. And now I can't listen to that commercial without feeling a little mm, sick in my stomach. See, when when the uh, when he start when Jonathan started writing those books, like I, I showed my wife, it's like, hey, look at Jonathan's new uh, new series, and it was the the Hunters for Hire, the suck one, and mm-hmm. she's like, what is he writing porn now? It's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> that, porn. That, like, porn. Like, with with the uh, with the cover and like the 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 subtitle, the suck. She's like. That seems like it's supposed to be like a supernatural Corn. romance novel. <laughs> With a happy sock. <laughs> it's mutt. 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 All right. So uh, let's, let's start this beautiful cover up because uh, we came here to talk about this book that you're writing. Uh, so first off, uh, what are we looking at with this cover? And Because uh, Nick likes to get nerdy about the pictures. Oh yeah, so um, uh, actually, the my my wife found this amazing artist online. She works pretty much uh, completely with Photoshop, and um, just as you can see, she does an amazing job. And this is from like nine or ten different photos that she managed to seam together this like just this beautifully. And um, so this is our main character, his name's Connor Lorian overlooking the, uh, the home or the kind of the capital city of his home as that, um, I called Celium. Um, so it's, I believe it's Latin for heaven. Um, and his planet is part of a binary star system, um, which is, uh, oh yeah. She uses like high quality. You can zoom all the way in. I wouldn't be surprised if you could see someone drinking their coffee in one of those. Uh, I, I started those to feel like it, it didn't get pixelated. So we were super close and I can still almost feel like there's silhouettes in there and the people in their houses. Yeah. Oh yeah. She, she said that if I wanted to blow this up and turn it into like a 10 foot banner, it would still hold resolution. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and the, the two suns are, are because the, the planet is part of a binary star system. Um, it's in the book, it is a little bit different than it appears on the cover. Um, it's less Tatooine and more of the planet sits between two suns and there's a brown dwarf star and a blue, uh, a blue star that, are like the the nighttime sun and the daytime sun of the planet. But I think that the way that my cover artist captured the the binary system in this is just fantastic. Oh yeah. That captures it. I'm like trying to see where each layer of different city different cityscapes come in there. 
Yeah, and um, it's yeah, it, it's um, and I think that she did a good job, like just kind of capturing the the sense of the book because with especially with the character kind of out of the light out of the hustle and the bustle of the of the city and um well of the city that is closest to where he is he's always on the outside like in the book he goes into Celium once or twice but like the book spans from like his early 20s to his early to mid early 30s and even at his early 20s he'd only been inside the city he mentions he's only been inside the city once or twice because of his station and he he's his house he is literally looks down on the city from his bedroom every single night and because of his station he's only had the opportunity to go down there a handful of times in his life so i think that she did a, a really good job kind of capturing that distance that the main character has from even his own people. Are, are they like broken up into sectors like the Green Lantern Corps? Um, no. Um, it's that he is the high prince of the planet. Um, so he's okay. king, King's firstborn son. Um, and he's because he's the firstborn son, they're like, okay, so uh, your role is to be a warrior. So you get to go and train to be a warrior from the time that you're like five years old. And so he, he wants to be a scholar. He wants to learn and he wants to like dive into books and, and get to learn the history of his planet and the, the it's, they're not really an empire because the Baronian people don't take over planets. They're very intentionally a very peaceful race. They're kind of, they're, they're the quiet big stick um, because I mean, one Baronian, if they just the way that they work, if they decide to unleash all of the power that they hold inside of them will render an entire planet to ash. Um, it kills them, but it will render an entire planet to ash. Um, and so they are intentionally very, very peaceful, um, very protective, um, but they're also some of the best trained warriors in the galaxy. Um, and so they are, they are spread all across the galaxy in a, in a protective status, but because of who he is, a mix of the firstborn son of, of the king and also um, being put in the warrior program, he just, he doesn't have, he literally doesn't have a free, a free moment. And the few seconds that he does get to escape, he likes to get himself into some trouble. Okay, so when you said station, it was more like his station in the social hierarchy, and mm-hmm. not like that's where he's stationed. You know, oh, well, I, both, that's where I got kind of well, confused. But actually, that, so that's awesome. His station in the social hierarchy, and then after he uh, displays a specific, unique aptitude to violence. Um, like as a six-year-old, he, and this isn't shown in the book, it's more of reference back to, but as a six-year-old, he completes a test that a lot of 18 and 20-year-olds 20, 20 fail um, as far as a, a combat test, uh, just because he's just, he's, he it's something, it's a gift he was born with. Um, and so he gets put into, it follows his journey through uh, becoming what's called the Cryptea, which if any of you have uh, are familiar with 300 that's what the 300 were called they were the cryptea and they're the best of the best and um so it it 
follows a little bit of him struggling to get in um or yeah struggling to reconcile what he wants to be versus what he's forced to be um and him like uh, forging his armor um forging his his own armor his own weapons uh going on off-world missions where he gets to choose his ows which is off-world squad and so that's that's where my facebook name comes from it's um uh i i for facebook it's out of world subscribers but it's their the ows is like his right hand they're they're with him they support him they're um the best they're they're just they're so good at what they do that they're one step below kryptea and um so it's really i don't want to say necessarily it's coming of age tale because he's already a full-grown man but it's more of discovering who he needs to be not necessarily who he wants to be or who people want him to be yeah you got it you got some real interesting uh like when you, I took a writing class and they called them like common literary themes. So you got, I see man versus society, man versus self, and then man versus man. So those are really, those are really impactful themes and you got three of them going on there. That's real interesting. That's something I would definitely read that and superheroes and future. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so with, with these people, the so the superhero part of the uh, of the society is, um, and before I knew anything about the element itself, I just picked Boron off. Um, um, I just uh, I, I picked an element off of the periodic table of elements because I was like fourteen whenever I started this story. I was like, and I was in a science class, and like, hey, you get to pick an element to do a presentation on, and so I flipped through. I was like, oh my gosh. Krypton. Krypton's an actual element. Woohoo! Um, and so I did my presentation on Krypton, and then um, I saw Boron on there. I was like, you know what? That's a, that'd be a great name for a planet. And so named the planet that, and then I gave these people they are I like to call it Boro Electron Deficient, now that I'm familiar with the element, where they have to constantly be absorbing radiation in order to maintain essentially maintain form um if they don't they and given they naturally do it um all the time just from you know the suns um then when they develop like electricity the uh radiant energy coming off of lights but only a handful can actually feed off of another living person it doesn't hurt them but it's just like the body heat that the person gives off they can draw on or the body heat or a organic ability that somebody gives off only like a handful, like three or four in all of Baronian history are able to do that. And the main character finds out that he is one of those people. Um, again, it kind of falls back to, it's not one of those, Oh, Hey, he can do it because he's the protagonist. So he gets to, there's actually a reason behind it, which not going to go into it. He just, he touches something he shouldn't not, nothing dirty intended, but he touches something he shouldn't. And it, uh, it would have killed anybody else, but because he was partially chosen 
it didn't kill him, but it did revamp his abilities to be a lot more refined than the average Baronian. Um, so that is very um, military sounding, touching something they shouldn't, because I don't know how many times you had Joe private, like the one thing you didn't want him to do, they're going to do because why not? I mean, there was a time when we were uh, stationed at uh, Fort Bragg uh, between uh, getting ready to go on our deployment, and they had us guarding this building. They didn't tell us what it was. There was Army base on one side, Air Force base on the other, soldier and airman on each side guarding this one building that was, like, between the fence. They never told us what it did, but they're like, whatever you do, don't try to open the door. So, of course, as I'm relieving somebody, uh, one of my privates is, like, trying to open the door to get in. Now, I don't know that it's true, but I'm told that's a green beanie place. Like, it's a spec ops type deal, and he probably, like, it could have gone badly if he'd actually opened the door. But, of course, they told him not to, so, you know, I did something. He had to open yeah. it. It's like, don't yeah. hit the red button. So what is he going to do? He's going to hit the red button. You know what? The it's their fault for that. leaving Starfall on the wall where everyone could see it. I mean, sure. they shouldn't have done it. Uh, uh, but he was like, "Ooh, I'm I'm gonna touch the the I'm gonna touch the weapon that caused our planet to start developing life into the way that it is." And he did, and it did bad things to his noggin. So <laughs> you mentioned that it's military sci-fi. Like, what would you say the inspiration for the military side? Because when you're talking fantasy, different planet, different race, even I mean, are are these humans or are they just humanoid? Uh, so. That is that is the thing. So they, um, there. So this take an event takes place, which I'm. If the series does well enough, I'll release a book covering the event. But event takes place not long before Connor is born, the main character. Like he, his mom's like eight months pregnant when this event takes place, and um. It starts stripping the Baronians of their natural absorption ability, but because of the way that their planet's set up, it starts killing them as well. And so to try and save them, these people or this race, because of how much natural power they can store in themselves, they're able to develop extremely rapidly when it comes to technology because power sources plug me in coach um and so they create what i like to call an electron displacer essentially it's something that can displace the electrons in one part of the universe and if you're familiar with quantum entanglement it goes off of that so essentially you affect one atom someplace in the universe in atom at the other place another part of the universe moves at the exact same at the exact same time um so essentially they're they're connected and so what electron displacers do is it pulls those atoms apart so you can essentially walk through a portal from one part of the universe to another and so what they do is they load all of these sick people up so that they don't die and send them to a world where they can be sustained and it turns out to be earth and it's so far back in our history that the first thing that these baronians see is cain coming out of the garden of eden so like oh. it's they are when they don't have their powers by all rights they're human but when they do have their powers they're just some of them just like you know some people are more genetically blessed here like with physical attributes here baronians have different um natural affinity for radiation absorption so some of them 
have the affinity to become gods. Um, but without their powers, they are, for all intents and purposes, uh, human. Um, but to kind of go back to your original question of, of like how it how it's more like military and stuff, there's for a perfect example and and to touch on, you know, grabbing things you're not supposed to. Uh, there's a there's a a scene in the book that was a lot of fun to write where him and the, the military are essentially in drop ships being dropped into um, essentially take out a mercenary group and the shields on some of their ships are failing and he isn't his his drop ship has been instructed not to drop him and so he's like okay I'm gonna get these stabilizers that are meant for not not anything that's super light toss them on my feet and jump and see what happens and um so he he jumps even though he's ter- terrified of heights and whenever he lands a plasma cannon shoots into him and these are like it's the equivalent of like a, it's an anti-aircraft gun but it's all plasma and because it's plasma it's energy and he just absorbs the whole thing and immediately turns around expels the energy to destroy the other plasma cannons that's cool. Creative. I'm, okay. Comic artist. So I'm seeing it as you're saying the words, because that's what I have to do. I have to read scripts and make them into pretty pictures. So you, while you were talking about that, I'm like, oh, yeah, like in a movie almost. Just and actually, that that's where the series started. Um, I wanted to get into film. Um, so I started writing scripts. And uh, this series, actually, I created whenever... Um, my dad was Navy and um, he got stationed in Stockholm, Sweden and inside of 12 hours of being in a foreign country for the first time, I was in a boarding school where, I mean, they spoke English, but everyone spoke Swedish and I wasn't, my Swedish wasn't great. So like I created this character, Connor Lorian to help with the culture shock of that. And so that's kind of where the military, the military aspect stems from is just that personal experience um and a lot of what connor goes through is i don't want to say very similar because again he's got superpowers and if you punch me i'm like (laughs) that hurt um but uh a lot of what he goes through is a dramatized version of kind of what i felt going through culture shock um as a military kid um which is one of the reasons why there's so many things that if a military person were to read that be like you know what i get it like i could totally see that happening (laughs) um and uh um yeah it's just it it was one of those books that it was it's just kind of formed i started whenever i was 14 um i wrote the scripts whenever i was in college i submitted them to um if you ever heard a big, big break screenwriting competition, they get something like, oh, it's over 250,000 submissions. And the first birthright, which at that time the script was called The Baronian, uh, it got third place. And mm-hmm. the guy who judged it, he replied with, this is like the Man of Steel meets He-Man, Master of the Universe, and I love it. You should turn it into a book. And that's what got me writing it in a book. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Well, and that's high praise. Yeah. Anybody's just like, Hey, put that in a book. Cause we still want to see the story out in the, out in the world. Yeah. And that's uh, cool. even higher praise Superman meets He-Man. I mean, like that's that my childhood right there. That, that's yeah, that's going to be my go-to on marketing. Like, that's going to be my go-to on marketing is Man of Steel meets He-Man. I mean, it's it's good marketing, but I'm still mad at He-Man. So, like, I'm, I'm bearing a grudge. Why are you mad at He-Man? So, when I was little, this is back when you had the 1-900 numbers where you had to pay to call. And there was a commercial. Oh, I was like, if you call, you call this 1-900 number, you get to talk to He-Man. So, I skipped school, and I called the 1-900 number to talk to He-Man. And it was a pre-recorded di- like thing. You never actually got to talk to He-Man. It was just a prayer. Listen to your parents and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, if I was listening to my parents, we wouldn't be listening right now. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, my parents get the bill and the school calls like, you know, why wasn't JR in school today? So I got in trouble and all for, and I had to pay back the money that the one I spent on the one number. And I still didn't get to talk to He-Man. It was a giant scam. <laughs> Drink more Ovaltine? Yeah, right. Commercially, basically. <laughs> Basically, that's what happened. They were like, "Aha, sucker!" <laughs> I'm so bitter. Oh, that's, that's pretty how funny. They get you started on those one nine hundred numbers. Yeah, they, it just gets worse from there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those are a thing anymore. Next uh, thing no. you know, you have you have uh, the deposed prince of Algeria reaching out to you asking for some money. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I, I had an aunt who died, and she left me millions of dollars. And if I just send him six hundred for the fee to transfer that money. <laughs> so somebody uh, had a meme where they had like a, a skeleton in his, or a, a zombie in a zombie world trapped in a room full of money and that's like that's your uncle who had that money he was trying to send you <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good I, I got an email the other day they're like you're 50 million <laughs> I can't even <laughs> give her a minute you're 50 million and stuck with customs and border patrol. <laughs> you have to send me $50 for the stamp. <laughs> He's border patrol. That's why it's funny. She, she's like, hey, honey, look this. And I'm like, oh, the, ink, the grammar is atrocious. Just on that, it's a scam. They called it USA dollars instead of US dollars. Um, <laughs> so that, they tried to do that to me. And I just, it was, it was via text message show. So I replied, I'm like, I am customs and border protection. That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this guy on YouTube and I can't remember his name, but there, his whole thing is when people try to call and scam, he like ends up scamming them back and then like films it all. Uh, or, or his other one is he'll hack into their system and then record him like corrupting all of their stolen data as he's talking to them. That guy's a superhero. We ought to write yeah, books. Yeah. Him. Not, not all heroes wear capes. Absolutely. Speaking of capes, uh, your superhero capes or no? Um, I saw a cape so on the cover. Kind of like Edna Mode. No capes. Uh, kind of like Edna Mode's uh, shtick from The Incredibles. Because a lot of superheroes have capes. And it's like, why do you have a cape? Is there a reason? Do, do you really need a cape except for just for visual whatever? So the main character has a cape, but it's because of his station. So only like the the um, the ev- every house on Boron has their own symbol 
Um, mine looks like an Omega symbol with like a lightning bolt through it that has two dots on it. Um, and so all Baronians, they always have that symbol glowing on their chest. If that symbol extinguishes, now given if they like take their clothes off, it's not like glowing there, but it, it's almost like it's it's a projection of their house pride, so to speak. If that symbol ever extinguishes, it's like that person's a traitor because it, it's almost like an external visual of their of their traitorous intent um if that symbol ever goes away now the only people that have capes and each house has their house color too but the only people that have capes are either um high-ranking royal guards they have white capes because it goes with their armor um a um high-ranking noble families their capes are their house color um the high prince who will have an azure blue cape um and the high king so the only time that you have a cape is if it is to show that you are at the top of the tier list so to speak um so the main character does have a cape and that along with his family crest those do play um roles in his character development um primarily starting in book two where not not to spoil anything too much but something happens at the end of book one where he doesn't feel like or where he feels like he is no longer um he he no longer has the honor of being able to call himself high prince or high king or even lead anybody and so whenever that happens he loses his cape and he loses in his uh because he's lost that sort of house pride his symbol goes away and it's not until and so book two is kind of him trying to regain that status and so it's it's kind of a very cathartic moment to have him find his cape so to speak both literally and metaphorically but yes there there is a cape but it it serves a purpose it's not just one of those oh hey he's gonna have a cape because it looks pretty that's valid it has a purpose i I dig it um okay so nick what's your take on capes do you put capes on your superheroes uh, I'm kind of like Ross over here. Um, I do have capes on my heroes. Uh, you can see a lot of them behind me. Those are action figures of my dudes that I've created. Um, Phantom Hawk, he has a cape because it's made out of a active camouflage parachute material that he has. So it's where the Phantom of Phantom Hawk comes in. He can activate it and kind of camouflage himself. Uh, with Pendragon, it is a stats it's to prove that he's not proved, but to show that he's royalty, that he's the last descendant of King Arthur. And then the other character that I have that has a cape is Corvid. And it's a raggedy brown, like short cloak with a hood. And that, and the organization she was in, that was like the bottom tier. So like when you first go into the order, that's what you're assigned is this raggedy brown um, short cloak. And she eventually raises in the organization. When she gets ostracized from the, the organization, she goes back to that just to kind of remind herself of where she came from. So nice. all of that stuff has a purpose. Doesn't Regent have a cape? Regent also does have a cape because she is the queen regent. She is the regent of Pendragon's powers. But that's much later on. 
So do you have um, uh, one? I didn't know you were a King Arthur fan. Now I'm adding that to a list of potential episode topics. Um, oh, yeah, so King nice, nice. What about you, Ross? Are you a King Arthur fan since it's sort of classic fantasy? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, again, this is if the series does well enough. I totally have a plan to have a mage battle between the uh, the mage Melchizedek and Merlin. Like, if if yeah, there's if there if this series does well enough, I plan on doing like spinoffs and stuff. And there's a mage who is kind of like the Doctor Strange meets Doctor Fate of of my Ooh. universe. He he shows up here and there, um, more of as a background character, primarily because he's just too powerful to have up front alongside Connor without stealing the show. But if the series does well enough, I plan on on having like showing part of one of his adventures where he straight up goes toe to toe with Marilyn. Nice. And if you're familiar with with Arthurian legend, it's not a woman that gets him trapped in a cave. It's Melchizedek. Okay. Um, okay. So what kind of powers, like, are the superheroes in your universe? What kind of powers do they have? So while Connor's on Boron, everyone has very similar powers. They're... Um, the way that their muscle structure is set up is it's a it's a um, cross weaving muscle. Uh, they've got cross weaving muscle fibers, so they're naturally like ten to fifteen times stronger than a normal person, and that's just like a baseline Boronian. Uh, because they are borocarbon based, um, they're naturally incredibly tanky. And whenever I, I don't mean that lightly, I mean like every inch of them all the way throughout is about as tur- durable as tank armor. So it's like having an entire sheet of biological tank armor as just their body. Um, they have, their senses are, they're heightened. Um, I wouldn't say like to Superman levels, but to what the absolute peak of human senses are just a little bit higher than that. So they're, they are definitely beyond superhuman on that that front, as well as their reflexes. They're ten times their reflexes are ten times faster than ours. Um, and then, of course, with radiation absorption, they can also emit radiation. So, like a lot of it is through their weapons, um, because if they go through their hands, it's uh, very uncontrollable. But if they channel it through a rifle, they can shoot a, blo- a ball of concentrated plasma that they pulled out of themselves. Um, that being said, if they crack, which is where they release all of the energy that they've absorbed in their life in one go, it causes an explosion that is the equivalent of a star. It will, it will completely destroy the planet that they're on. It kills them in the process, but there is one scene where a group of them crack and I'm not going to dive into what that looks like, but it is devastation beyond anything that uh, essentially beyond anything that this race of warriors have seen in eons. Um, And, uh, but whenever Connor comes to earth, he doesn't exactly have what is called a soft landing. Um, And his landing does, he actually, he hits so hard. It actually rips power out of him and sends it, sends it as a pulse around the planet. And when that happens, it activates the dormant Baronian genes from when they first came to the planet and started intermingling with people. 
And so the powers that manifest depend on what house that person would have come from. So like um, a character who her family were pilots uh, or her, I should say her ancestors were pilots on Boron. Um, she gets the ability to fly and then she finds out that she can fuse with people. Um, another guy who he's an event adventurer, he likes to, he was actually with Doug's blessing. He was based off of Doug from the, that I was talking about earlier. Um, he, his family would have been, um, his family would have been miners. And so when his ability manifests, he's actually in a cave doing spelunking and the cave collapses on him. And that's when, and he, he, he calls himself protolith. That's his hero name. Um, but he finds that he's able to fuse with um, non-refined, uh, non-refined um, elements. So like marble or palisite or, um, and whenever he fuses with them, it's not just like he can pass through them. Cause like, that's, that's how he gets out. He literally just kind of pulls himself. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he phases through the layer of rock above him, um, but he doesn't just like fuse with it. He can actually, he's got a human form, but he can actually cover his body in whatever elements he has previously absorbed. Um, so he, whenever he goes to take a really long jump, he's like, that's going to hurt if I land wrong. So he turns his entire body into marble. Um, so whenever he hits, it doesn't hurt him nearly as bad. Um, and anytime he shifts, depending on what he shifts into, determines his strength and durability and that sort of stuff. Um, and then let's see who, where, uh, Danielle is, again, this is, this is book two, because a lot of the abilities in book one are very, very similar, because they're all Baronians. Um, Danielle, she becomes what is known as an emissary, which they do play a very big portion in, uh, in, Baronian society where they are kind of like the um, they're almost like the record keepers uh, or they're, they're kind of like the oracles actually from Greek mythology but they don't just read the Bar uh, Baronian history they actually have it etched into like every cell of their body so like if they want if they want to remember something um, and a very few people can become emissaries and so they tend to be like very stuck up librarian people because they're like i have this power and all of you are beneath me um and uh yes very much like like kind of like the codex from um again now i came up with this when i was 14 so this was 2004 um so no no, no, no i get it because there's stuff that i created when i was 12 and it eventually happened and they're like oh you took that off of this and i'm like yeah. No, I swear to it, God. <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like the Codex from Man of Steel. Only they actually have access to it. Um, so that's actually not that uncommon that creative people have been able to predict things because you look at the world as it is, and then you kind of start extrapolating if this, then that. The old <laughs> logic puzzles, so you can make your world coherent. So you know, I ended up predicting Brexit, for instance, back in 2014 because I was working on you know how I thought the world would go for this, you know, to get to the point where we might be a one, like a one system empire kind of thing. And so I was mentioning before that. it was cool. Yeah, I did it before it was cool. And so I was mentioning that to a friend of mine that's a, a active duty still. So I won't mention his name, but he's a, he's a, a Colonel. 
And he was like, well, yeah, that's the reason that the Marine Corps and the Army do that um, thing where they'll pair up soldiers and, and airmen with actual sci-fi authors and they write a short story together for future war concepts because – like much like Tom Clancy, if you start thinking about these things, you can sort of see where things are going because you follow trends. That's not uncommon. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you predicted things because you were you were paying attention, right? Like the answers are all there if you're just looking for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, you mentioned Man of Steel meets He-Man. Does your universe have something equivalent to the Kryptonite for the Boronians? We have. So they, there are different colors of Boronite. Um, I mean, there's, uh, but they don't have, I figured if I made one that was like, oh, hey, here's some Boronite, you're weakened now. I figured that would be too close to Superman. Um, and since he is my favorite superhero, I wanted to, he obviously inspired Connor. Um, but I wanted to make him different enough where it wasn't just another Superman clone, like Omniman or Homelander. Um and uh, so I find reasons to give Connor these even beyond super, super Baronian abilities, because it's, it's even beyond his, his natural abilities are superhuman anyway. And the abilities that he develops is pushes him even further beyond his own people. Um, so um, like it's uh, I'm sorry. I, I, went into the explanation to why I was answering. I totally forgot your question. What was your question again? <laughs> um, so did you have an equivalent for like a kryptonite? And you, oh. you were answering that there, yeah. there were yeah, uh, there, analogs there, for it. Just basically something that's counter the power. No, it doesn't counter the power. Um, blue boronite. That's the only one that I touch on because it's the only one that I think is, would be interesting. Um, because blue boronite it's a quote-unquote mythological stone that is said to increase a Boronian's power a thousandfold. So if they wear it, like if it's in a ring and they put the ring on, or if they embed the stone in their skin, um, it's not like kryptonite where he just has to be in the presence of it. It actually has to physically be on him. Um, where he actually is the wife that is chosen for him gifts him a blue boronite ring that he wears around his neck but because he's not wearing the ring it's not activating the stone um and it was said to be so dangerous that the first time that blue boronite was used their own people were like yeah we gotta throw that into the sun because that's too dangerous of a weapon and so in in the myth of the in the myth of the universe all four of the known pieces of Boronite were thrown into stars at different uh, different corners of the universe. Only to find out that two of the pieces may not have actually been thrown into the stars and the main character wears one around his neck. Um, and I'm not going to say where the other piece is because that's a revelation for book three. Um, but uh, if a Boronian were to put on that ring or were to allow themselves to be affected by blue boronite essentially are you guys familiar with darth nihilus yeah they would their absorption of powers would go so haywire they would essentially turn into darth nihilus that where just their mere presence would pull the life force out of a planet and out of everyone around them it would it would ostensibly turn them into a god but they would be a walking black hole where the more power they gain the larger their their radius of effect is until given enough time the entire universe goes dark because they 
eat all of the energy in the universe. But my, it's pretty powerful. he's pretty powerful. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and so my, my counter for these incredibly powerful beings is it was a lot of fun to make because it was like, I, I can't just have them be weak to a green rock. I mean, it works for Superman, but for anybody else, it's like you're just trying to make it work because it worked for Superman. Um, and so it's finding ways to create other races that are more powerful in specific ways. Like Connor gets real messed up in one of his uh, in one of his fights because or one of his missions because he fights something that had a heat resistant um, a heat resistant hide. So radiation, his radiation attacks didn't really work on it, and its claws were so sharp it was able to. It was its claws were so sharp it was able to cut through his armor and into him. So, um, it, it's fun to try and figure out. And I, in the books, I kind of go into how that was able to happen. I won't do it here, um, but. It, it's kind of fun to be like, okay, they, these people accidentally made them a little too powerful. What ways can I work around that power to make them not seem invincible? Um, and there's only one character that is truly invincible, and it is... It's one of the bad guys. His name is Zero. Okay. Um, no, it's a solid name. I've used it. Well, I use it for a hero, and I spelled it with an X instead of a Z. And that's how mine is spelled, too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, cause I didn't, and I have to admit, I didn't have much of a say in Zero. I told my older brother, I was like, hey, I want to base a character off you. If I could, what would their name be and what would their powers be? And I mean, we've kind of already sworn on here, but are you guys okay with swearing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And he goes, well, um, I want it to be zero, but with an X. Because with a Z, that's just stupid. That's just stupid. Make it with an X. And uh, I don't care what his powers are, so long as he could kick Superman's ass with both his hands tied behind his back. So I was like, okay. So I created zero. I figured out a way to put him into the story and make everything make sense. And I actually ended up falling in love with creating the character because it was so much fun. Where I made it where if... Zero were to ever go toe to toe with Superman, Superman would get his power levels are so ridiculous that he would get the Superman would get just wiped around like it, it wouldn't even be a competition. And then, um, after again, not going to spoil it because it's goes into book two a little bit, but after the events of book after I'd written the events of book two, I was going to be like, okay, I think Zero's story has kind of come to an end, it's been a lot of fun. Um, but this is Connor's story. I don't need to be. I don't need to be delving down the rabbit hole with Zero. And then after my brother passed, I was like, you know what? I can't leave Zero's fate the way that it is. I need to do something different. So I went back and kind of retconned Zero's history, so that there is a portion that can be left active. I guess I can say without, without, I don't want to spoil anything, but a portion that can be left active. And just because he was based off of my brother um, after and after he passed, I was like, you know what? In this universe, there is a creator. They call him, the Baronians call him the creator. And he is essentially the god of the universe. So 
nothing can be more powerful than the creator, but I'm going to make zero a very, very close second. So like, and whenever you make a character that powerful, you really can't, you, you can't really, the only stories you can write with them aren't necessarily conflict stories, not physical conflict stories because they're just so powerful um, yeah. that with a snap of his fingers, especially in that new form with a snap of his fingers, as powerful as Connor gets throughout the series, it's no contest. He's, he doesn't, he could literally erase him from existence if he wanted to. He's not going to, but he could. Um, and so like it's, it ended up kind of branching off again to, to, to kind of honor my brother creating like a, a zero chronicles where it's his story and his positive effect trying to undo the horrors that his quote-unquote darker half committed so it's more of a his his story ends up becoming more of a a story of mentorship over conflict oh, cool. like connor's that's a sounds, really good way to handle that yeah it sounds like um it's also a like second chance kind of story for this character the the zero so when when he shows back up yes it very much is because when he shows back up they're like last time we saw you you were trying to cut us in half and he's like no 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 no, no. i'm 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 a good guy now i promise i promise i'm, I'm not i'm trying to help you take down the guy who is help who is influencing me i'm a good guy now so yeah it, it is actually it's i should say it's it's less of a redemption story because the zero that did all the bad things can't be redeemed um it's more of a the better half is just trying to make up for the deeds that the darker half did which yeah, amends. yeah which makes sense once you once it, it'll make it makes more sense once you get to book into book one and do like the pro or the epilogue of book one really kind of hints at what's going on and then in book three they kind of go into it a little bit more so i am getting a little bit ahead of myself i know that this is this kind of this is supposed to be about book one but again i've been making the series for 19 years and so yeah. like it's just i'm, I'm really excited to finally it's all be together able to... you talk about one you talk about all of it in for yeah. a penny in for a pound yeah we're passionate i do the same thing on podcasts you're good <laughs> so about issue eight that hasn't been done yet <laughs> no, no, totally cool. Um, so one of the things that my biggest complaint when it comes to superheroes is they give them like this power and then they don't use it creatively. Like I've got a control of electricity. So all I'm ever going to do is shoot lightning bolts out of my ass. And instead of some of the other things, like why couldn't you, you know, the guys walk in on the street and you know, there's a puddle. Oh, suddenly I electrify that puddle and the bad guy's dead. Like, no, I'm going to shoot this random shiny bolt of lightning. Cause why? Uh, there's all kinds of things that if you understand the element that is their power, you could get creative in, in the application of it for some, some really neat ideas. So do you play with any of that? I do. Um, and and I the in-world or in-universe explanation for the playing with the abilities is that while, while Connor was taught to use his powers like in a in battle at heart he wants to be a scholar he wants to he just wants to learn he wants to expand his knowledge so with that came um a sense of creativity 
that the other Baronians don't have. And you get to see it in combat. So like Baronians, they have a energy projector that they can use to put up a shield. And it's a little personal shield. Well, in a fight, Connor's like, well, this isn't going to do. And he not only does he create a bubble to completely surround his team, which you don't see any other Baronian do, but he also, one of his team members gets shot and he actually creates a micro, uh, a micro shield inside the wound to stop the bleeding. Um, because they don't, they're cut off and don't have access to their, their medical supplies. So he, you do get to see him use his, his abilities creatively. And whenever he is able to use his personal electron displacer, displacer, because not all Baronians have a personal electron displacer. So when he gets to actually use his personal teleporter, he, and he actually has the constant, because it, to make it not completely broken, there is an element of concentration to it. He uses it to great effect on the battlefield. So like he'll punch somebody in the face. And then as they throw him backwards, he'll have them throw him through a portal and into their back. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's very creative with his abilities. And then whenever his abilities start developing more and more as he comes to earth and he gets to, minor spoilers here he gets to experience the powers of others he helps he, it, it he figures out interesting ways for people to use powers that they didn't even know that they could use their own power so he yeah he he is very creative with his abilities um especially the teleporter using it to ruthless efficiency in combat okay that's the one thing that uh, in a world like that has the teleportation like Star Trek did. Like, why the heck aren't you just like teleporting bombs into their ship and problem solved? The fight's over. Yeah, yeah. Which they addressed in the uh, in the movie from I think it was twenty. Was it twenty two thousand nine two thousand ten? Really? Uh, the, the new the new uh, the, it was Chris Hemsworth's um, first movie. Um, he played Chris Pine's dad, but yeah, yeah he, uh, no, it, it wasn't in the first one. It was in the third one. It was the edge of, or into it darkness. Was, they, was... they teleport a whole bunch of active torpedoes into Khan's ship. Um, yeah. After they take as, the, the human popsicles out. <laughs> yeah. Disguised as Khan's people and blow Khan's ship up from the inside. But so but why like, didn't they do it more if they could do it? I know, right? Is I I don't know. I don't know. But like, and well, that, Scotty that is... actually, Scotty actually touches on that one, and he says the warp core is just a giant radioactive thing ready to explode. We cannot have weapons on board. That's why we are explorers. So that's a big thing that like Scotty walked off of the Enterprise because of it. He's like, no, I'm not signing for 72 torpedoes. That's not happening. Because that plus that equals no more of all of us. And he walked out. So yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but he did yeah. he did touch on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what else can you tell us about the uh, the world of Boron? Are there any cool sidekicks or are they all sort of standalone? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, 
Uh, Connor's OWS, his off-world squad, it's made up of Jill Thorin, um, Disa Ani, who's his childhood best friend, um, and kind of, he's, I don't want to say, he he's, did, did you all have that friend in school that was just a little bit slower than everybody else, but you kept him around because you liked him? Yes, we all have That's that. That's Disa Ani. James That's Clark is his name. <laughs> I, well, I was going to make the joke that they're all future Marines, but I mean, you could name them too. Um, but yeah, so uh, Disa Ani, he's, he's kind of, he's well-meaning. He's kind of playful. Um, he definitely likes to pull pranks. Some of them are not very funny and they get his ass beat on more than one occasion. Um, That's where he's a Caden. Uh, and um, primarily because he pulls bad pranks on dangerous people and they don't go right. Um, like, for example, he pulls a prank on Jill Thorin, who is an, a ruthlessly efficient, like, if I were to to give you, like, if I were to compare her to, like, a DC character as far as combat ability, she's Wonder Woman. Like she is, she is a ruthly efficient combatant that the only reason why she wasn't initiated into the Cryptea with Connor was because she was like, look, I, I know what's going to be happening to you in there. And if I go with you into the Cryptea, which is a four to eight year program, um, one of us isn't going to be making it out because one of us will have to drop out. So she stepped back so that Connor could, could uh, I mean, she did it on her own, but she wasn't going to be given an option if she decided to fight because they're like, he's, he's the print, high prince. He needs the best training. He's going into the Cryptea. You aren't, but she gracefully, she was like, I, I can't because we're, we're closer than siblings. And if I see you hurt, I'm going to drop whoever hurt you. And I, one of us is getting kicked out. Um, and then there's Bara Helor, who her character is kind of based off of, as far as like description goes, Helen of Troy. Um, so she's like this breathtaking beauty that like a lot of people fawn over. But at the same time, you get a rifle in her hand and she becomes one of the most terrifying people in the galaxy. Um, and, but she's, she's, she's also... Uh, like Jill Thorne, she's very rigid, both in in and out of uniform. But Bara Halor is like, get me out of my uniform, put me in a dress, and I'm willing to party. Um, Disa Ani is more of a, well, I'm here. Please don't forget about me, guys. And I guess I can Uber home if you accidentally leave me. But I'm good with it. And then um, there is uh, Mansan Fur who is, he is the giant. He's the tank of the group. So, like, he's, again, if you've watched if you watched Man of Steel, um, he is, oh, what, what is his name? Um, I forgot his name. But the, the really giant Kryptonian that, like, grabs Superman by the feet and slams him into the ground a whole bunch. Yeah, didn't they, he was supposed to be, uh, like, a version of... Uh same guy from the Christopher Reeves one. I think they called him, it was like Kroll, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Remember. Yeah, but um, he essentially, Manson Fur is like, physically, he is that, he's like that character of the group. Um, and he is more of the, uh, he's he's kind of like the, um, 
Nimic, yeah, Nimic. Um, <laughs> he, he's actually, he's the reason why Krypton's moon is in a thousand pieces. And that one horned animal that you see at the beginning of Man of Steel, he actually, he's a scientist and he actually fused his DNA with, or that animal's DNA with him and became functionally immortal. And then he also decided to play with nukes and that's why uh, Krypton's moon is in a bunch of, uh, is shattered. Um, but anyway, to go back, um, Mansam Fur is kind of like the Namek of the uh, of the group, where he's um, he's massive, but unlike Namek, he's very um, he's the gentle giant. So like he'll he, he's the yeah he's the quiet gentle giant of the group that is he has a lot of back and forth with Disa Ani just because Disa Ani's mousy and kind of side by side. I love having that side by side where there's a massive character next to a really like smaller character, which is why in Legacy Earth two of the two best friends are the giant and the, the midget. Um, and they're constantly having back and forth. And I, I really like that dynamic. So that's kind of the, the dynamic that these internally, the Disani and Mansem Fur have are, uh, they're just kind of back and forth all the time, giving each other a hard time. But um, at the end of the day, the OWS is selected as an OWS for a reason, because yes, they are the best at what they do, which is combat. Or I should, I should say they're the second best at what they do. But they also have a bond that makes them closer than family. Okay. So, are there um, aside from the Boronians? Are there other um, like alien type creatures, or is it the their corner of the world populated by their species? Oh no, no. There's so you actually the the Boronians um, brought in a, a race called uh, well one of a race called a Draronian. Um, they are, the way that I kind of picture them are, you know, the aliens from, um, from Independence Day, you know how their heads are like ovally and stuff? Yeah. Or not ovally, but discish. They've got a head similar to that, but they've kind of got the body of a really spindly person that has their arms are kind of gangly. So they're, they've got huge heads. They don't have a mouth. They speak telepathically, but not in the presence of a Baronian. They have to have a collar that speaks because if they go into a Baronian's head, it can kill them. Um, Both people, actually, it can kill them both. Um, But the Draronians are incredible. They're an incredibly powerful, but again, very peaceful race that, didn't really advance technologically until the Baronians came across them because they're summoners. Their psionic abilities are so powerful that they can actually create hard light constructs. Um, not like a green lantern hard light. Like if they wanted to make another me, you would see a second me appear right over here and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference unless you hit the other one hard enough um, okay. or yeah. the Draronian broke their concentration. Um, then there is a race that they're teased, um, and I plan on flushing them out again if the series does well enough and we, I can't expand, uh, called the Trigzel. They're, um, they're a very mysterious race. You only get to see dead ones, but they're the, the power that they have harnessed for like faster than light engine travel. When Connor scans their ship, his scanner is like, this is beyond even Baronian technology. And the Baronians are known for being the most technologically advanced species in the galaxy. And so he's like, huh, 
this is interesting. So it kind of creates a, um, a mystery around this species that admittedly due to events beyond his control, he never gets to dig into and neither does the reader because I want to come back to it. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there are, uh, there are different species. Um, Connor doesn't get to see a whole lot of them just because of, again, his training. Um, he does do a lot of research on them. He gets to see a lot of the, uh, monsters that live under the core of the planet. Um, and, uh, there's even a nod to that some of the Norse gods might have actually been Baronians that came to Earth. Um, because there's a... That tracks. A, yeah, that, well, so there's a forger armory in part of the book whenever he makes his armor. He has to go and fight his way to a forger armory near the core of the planet to pick a hammer. And when he gets down there, there are five hammers. One, each one is picked, I selected out of, like, um, humans lore uh, just because I, I thought it would be kind of cool and one of them's Mjolnir that its ability is it anything that's forged with it is imbued with electricity and power to influence weather and he looks at it he thinks about picking it up and he makes a worthy joke before going on to the next <laughs> going on to the next hammer nice that's um that's the hard part like Mjolnir is at least because it's um historic item that existed in folklore before it was in the comics but sometimes when you want to leave those easter eggs and pay homage to your homage to your like your childhood favorites you're like how do i do this and not get sued well so and the the way that mjolnir is described in the book is lore or is folklore accurate not marvel accurate so like the and and the worthiness that's out the window too so it, it it's just like so in in the world, the reason why he makes the worthy comment is partially as a as a jab to or as a nod to Marvel, I should say. But there's an in universe explanation that like some of the greatest warriors in all of Baronian history, they forged their armor with the lightning hammer or the thunder hammer, which was Mjolnir. And so in Connor's eyes, because he hasn't proven himself, he's not worthy to wear the same kind of armor that these great warriors have. So that in universe, that's the explanation um, as to why he makes a not worthy comment, but it's also 100% a nod to Marvel. I like okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So was there anything we didn't ask you um, because you know you get mixed together with anybody that wants to talk superheroes, and we'll have to pry them off with a stick uh, from the discussion. <laughs> Crowbar. Was there? Any- yeah. So was there anything about the birthright? Is it the birthright universe, or is that just book one? Uh, so no, birthright's the name of the series. I couldn't find a good subtitle that captured the book of birth uh, of book one more than birthright, because essentially it is Connor's journey into inheriting his birthright um which is to eventually one day become high king of the planet um and yeah of of the planet and even though i mean the first line of the uh of the back cover is some people are born into greatness others are dragged into it kicking and screaming connor lorian is the latter um and yeah so it's really this one doesn't have a subtitle because birthright in encapsulates the 
sort of it, it doesn't need one it, it encapsulates the story completely because it that's essentially at the end of the day that's what it is it's a superpowered soldier who is being marched into his birthright whether whether he likes it or not okay I dig it. Yeah. yeah i dig it so how many books do you think are going to be in the first series obviously if it sells well there'll be more but so there are I am working on book four right now, um, and this one I call, um, I'm calling kind of the, I'm calling the Reclamation Arc, uh, which the reason why it's called the Reclamation Arc, it will become very evident at the end of book one. Um, but then after that, I have planned on expanding to what um, I want to call the Hyperion Arc, which is Connor, at the end of, of book four, Connor gets a message saying, hey, so we got an SOS from one of our allies, and they're blockaded, and nobody has the power to get through there, um, at least not with an electron displacer, and not get found out immediately. So we know you can, because you've got the next gen of electron displacer. Do you want to hop over there and see if you can help out? And so that would kick off... Um, him finding pure humans scattered across the uh, the um, galaxy with abilities that are beyond even Baronians, and the the f- trying to kind of figure out why these humans are having such amazing, fantastical abilities when other humans on Earth aren't, and kind of getting to the bottom of that. And I plan on, I wanted that to be like a three or four four book arc, but in the Baronian universe, if it does well, and my dream scenario, have like 20-something, 30-something books in the universe, like a core 8 to 12 of Connor, um, do one to two that it actually I, I really want to do one that follows his sister because his sister is a minor character in the first book and she gets sent away to what is called the deadlands to be a quote-unquote diplomat and i really want to follow her because she gets sent to the deadlands right about the time everything goes sideways and it would make for a fantastic like super powered horror book um i really want to do that and then i've got two or three or actually three or four books for zero that i want to write um a couple for joss anfer who is zero's or actually yeah who's zero's kind of counterpart um like there i just i really want to expand the series to show kind of the side stories of all of these interesting characters where you get a glimpse of their story and it's like, oh, that's really cool. And then as I'm writing that glimpse, I'm like, I really want to write the whole thing, but I I can't, um, at least not right now. So like the, the entire universe, I want it to be, I would love it to be like an MCU type thing, just a book version. And not sucking. And not sucking, oh, yes. Whoa, like, whoa, whoa, pump the hate breaks. Oh, come on. The last two, the last two phases have been less than stellar. Oh, they've been dog shit. I'm talking about all the way up into Endgame. You can't generalize the whole MCU based on the last two phases. But yeah, like it should have stopped actually, after Endgame. But. Very, very much similar to like yeah the the first couple of phases up till the Endgame, um, where you know there's a story on Melchizedek and his monster hunter group, which is shown at the beginning in uh, in book in book three, Connor 
gets invited because he's a comic book artist. He finds a job as a comic book artist and a comic book uh, story writer. And so he's like, you know what? I'm not just going to come up with stories. I'm going to find people to write stories about. And he gets pulled, he gets wrangled into a, uh, into a hunt for Dracula (laughs) in the first couple of chapters. And, um, things go sideways super fast to the point where the mage that has kind of been following him since he comes to earth pops up and he's like, Hey, yeah. So, um, I didn't realize that he, the Connor was here, but these two, you think these two, they, they were able to take on your council pretty much single-handedly. Are they good to go on the mission with us? And Dracula's like, yeah, sure. Let's go. So two monster hunter humans, Dracula and a mage walk through a portal. And I feel like that's the beginning of a great joke. <laughs> okay and like so, i would love to write a story it sounds like that. an opening to a joke <laughs> walk into a bar so where can i buy this book so this book goes live um october 4th um and i plan on doing a rapid release for the first four books where it's if it's not four books in four months it's four books in five months um so yeah i I plan this is this is gonna be uh, depending on when this airs it will be live by the time this airs um and you can find it on amazon um just look up birthright or look up my name um there are i don't think there's any other ross bazell out there uh that is still alive anyway um that sounded a lot darker than i meant to the guy died of natural causes she was born in the 20s um oh yeah there could be only one um there's a ross halliday (laughs) i already tried to amazon your book because i'm a sucker for a good book and you sold me so i was like let me see if it's already up i didn't catch the date earlier Oh, it'll be uh, holiday. <laughs> it's it's October eighth. I plan on starting ads in the next two weeks, so um, to to kind of lead up to it um, and have the pre orders up um, before the end of this month, and then from there, yeah, do one book uh, one book a month um, before returning returning back to finish off the Legacy Earth series. Pretty cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. And how can uh, listeners and viewers find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Uh, yeah. So again, on Amazon, just look up my name, Ross Bazell, uh, or look up birthright. Um, and that should bring you to it. I, I did a lot of research to see if there are other birthright books out there. There's not really. Um, so it should, uh, if you look at birthright, it should bring you to me. Uh, you can also find my website, which is uh, rossbazell.com, just my name, all one word.com. Um, and if you go to Facebook and look up Ross's OWS, that'll bring you to my Facebook group, which um, again, I call it the OWS because Connor has his own and I've, I've had this for like five years and people are like why do you call it OWS why do you call it OWS well this is why it's because Connor has his OWS they have his back they're at his side they're like his family and to me the people who join the OWS even though my interaction with that is less than stellar and needs to get better but they support me every time I release a book they I can't tell you how many messages I get asking like more questions about the un- about the universes that I write about, and uh, so I, I figured that a name like OWS would suit the group. And yeah, so 
um, Facebook, Ross's OWS, RossBazell.com, and on Amazon. All righty. And this is the part where I remind you, dear listener, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. It's absolutely crucial. And if we want to fund going to throwback, that's what we call it in the biz, Nick. But uh, if we want to fund his trip to Disney where he can buy the, uh, the upgrade and get the droid and the lightsaber, do your part, people, and go buy that lovely book. With that being said, you can find us on our Linktree account, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blasters and Blades Podcast. Again, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades Podcast. We link to all the things, the Rumble, the Bit Shoot, the Madam Stabby Stab, Hotline for Help. Or no, I guess that might be considered false advertising. She's going to cut you. That's what she's going to do. Uh, all the things are there. We're on Blood Twitter. Letting. Yeah, bloodletting. Uh, she's going to help you get rid of your bad humors. Uh, we have the Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. We have the email at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. The Facebook group where it's backslash groups slash blasters and blades podcast. Just put a slash. You know what I'm talking about when I keep getting this wrong. I'm like second guessing it all the time now. And I can't get it right in my head since that person said that. Um, just follow the link tree. You just follow the link tree. Uh, we are on our website at anchor.fm back uh, slash blasters dash and dash blades anchor.fm slash blasters tag and tag blades wherefore as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on and it's truly appreciated uh, if you want to support the show more directly go to buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the show no- or for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host uh, Nick Garber and Madam Stabby Stab, duly caffeinated, they will drink until coffee pours out of their eyeballs. Yeah, that's the way it's going to be. Although Nick would probably have a cup there when it's pouring out to catch it and drink it again. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Saska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And uh, Ross, thank you for coming on, and we're definitely going to have to have you come back for some more episodes. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. And you know what? Next time I have a book release, which will probably be in a couple of months, I'll be more. i reach out to you, let you know. We'll come back, and I'll, we'll talk more coffee, and I'll, uh, I'll do more minor spoilers for the series that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll branch <laughs> out past secrets. We can branch out past coffee, and we can talk about coffee pairings. Like this coffee and the undertone of earth just works really, really well with the pumpkin spice, blah, blah, blah. Like we can fake I, it like we still remember all that. I'm, I did I'm having... look into it and you can buy caribou coffee, like the beans are the grounds, from Target. Nice. It's the only place outside of the northern states that sells it. Hmm. So if you guys want to try some awesome coffee, it's called I'm getting dragged coffee. to Target this weekend. all right and on that note have a lovely evening everybody or day or whatever your time of it is wherever you are living we have listeners in the future i mean new zealand australia but they're in the future